the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey, back from a very long week at E3 2018. Join me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford, who didn't have to move anywhere. So jealous of you. <laughs> well, I moved from the bathroom to the to the chair. That was hard, man. <laughs> we all worked extremely hard, and I'm almost literally falling asleep at my microphone, and I'm moving at the moment, and which is really fun. Kat is moving. She picked a perfect time to move. Like that, I, My hat's off to you. Yeah. But we saw a lot at E3. We wrote a lot about his stuff. Um, but all in all, Nadia, it was kind of a slightly underwhelming show, wouldn't you say? Yeah, honestly, um, like I was telling you earlier, uh, looking back on the show, it's like, okay, I had fun, I had a good time, but I'm not blown away by anything. It's not like the time I saw a couple of years ago, I saw Zelda, and that's all I could think about from that point on. Um, it's just nothing that I'm just, like, obsessed with, you know what I mean? Yeah, one of Nintendo's big games was, I mean, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, and by Wednesday, all of the lines had dissipated, mm-hmm. uh, people just weren't trying to get in to play it because once you've played it, it's like, oh, yeah, it's Smash. Yeah. <laughs> their, their arguments to the contrary, Nintendo was like, no, it's a full, it's a brand new built from the ground up game and we like did things with the lighting engine and stuff. And it's like, yeah, yeah, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I but believe the, it. The leap from Brawl on the Wii was huge mm-hmm. to the one on uh, on the Wii U. And it's just really tough to have a giant leap again from the Wii U to the Switch. So. Yeah, definitely. And I'm not saying it's not going to be a huge thing at Christmas, but uh, for E3, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is this is pretty cool. I'm really glad to see Ridley. Uh, mm. That was a pr- that was I'm, a fun I'm not. Reveal. I don't actually care about Ridley. I you wish don't? they hadn't done it. Why not? Eh. Because I thought Ridley. I loved Ridley's scale in the other game Mm -hmm. and i think it loses that actually and i was really hoping they'd kind of find a more interesting way to incorporate ridley into the game (laughs) (laughs) and ridley is a pretty boring character ultimately in the game he's very normal (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess that's a a good point you already have like a couple of dragons you have charizard and you have uh, bowser i think it's pretty notable that uh, nintendo doesn't have a single game on our top 10 list uh, for the fall. In fact, I don't think there's a single Switch game on the top 10 list. Did we? Uh, I know I, I voted for Fire Emblem Heroes. Or, uh, Fire Emblem Three, three Kingdoms three houses. is. Three Kingdoms. Is it Three Kingdoms or Three Houses? It's Three Houses, I just remembered now. Okay. Three whatever. Three whatever. <laughs> uh, Fire Emblem is in the honorable mentions. Right. Um, but it is not in the top 10. Super Smash Brothers in the honorable mentions, not in the top 10. And Mario Party. I mean. There will be some good games, but I think that the Switch is... I mean, I, I, well, I guess we should maybe start by talking a little bit about Pokemon Let's Go, mm-hmm. which I played. Yeah, that's, that, looks, that looks fun. You said you were kind of having a good time with it. It was cute. Tom Phillips from Eurogamer did not like it. <laughs> yeah, he hated it, didn't he? It wasn't that he hated it. He just found it so simple, and I kind of agree with him in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we agreed that we both... We really liked the overworld element. Right. With the Pokemon in the grass. That looked cool. And I th- it convinced me that random encounters in Pokemon have to die. Oh, oh, so here we are. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's time. Mm-hmm. I know that you lose the surprise element, but this was the first time that I really wanted to 
wade into the grass and catch everything. Right. Oh, that's I. The last time I completed my Pokedex. Have you ever completed a Pokedex, Nadia? Hell no. I came close with red and blue and that's it. I completed it in red and blue and I completed it in ruby and sapphire. Mm-hmm. In fact, in ruby and sapphire, I got all 386, which was actually extremely hard to do because to my knowledge, Celebi was never officially released in the US. Oh, right. So I think the best you could really do was like 384, 385. Mm-hmm. And this was before downloadable Pokemon. So you right. had to actually go to events to get things like Deoxys. Yes. Which I which I did. Oh, good for you. Because <laughs> I'm a nerd. I was a nerd <laughs> for Pokemon at that time. Like crazy, crazy nerd. But yeah, so I went and I, I, ca- I had all 386. I even sent my copy of, uh, I think, Ruby to the UK uh, to a friend in the UK who put a Japanese Celebi on there so oh, that I wow. could have it. Wow, that's, yeah, that's so trust that, right there. That was, this was 2003. This is what you did in 2003. Mm-hmm. That was long before Pokemon Bank or any sort of backup or anything like that. Uh, Pokemon, oh yeah, no, exactly. They had the Pokemon box for the, uh, for the GameCube. But, so anyway, this is the first time I was like, oh yeah, no, I want to catch them all. That's a thing that I want to do. Mm-hmm. So... Because when you see them all running around on the field, it, it just feels so much more alive, and it doesn't feel annoying to traverse right. an area. When you step into the grass, like, when I stepped into the grass, I just automatically tensed up, expecting to go and transition into the, the screen. But instead, I wanted to chase the Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll be walking around, and you'll see a Butterfree kind, of, and you'll be like, <laughs> oh man, Butterfree, I'm going to get you. Or, oh man, Pikachu, there you are, instead of... Back and forth, back, back and, and forth, forth, back yeah. and forth, back and forth. Oh, there's a Pikachu, right? So, yeah, that was one thing I remember from the old, real olden days of Pokemon. It had a, uh, a strategy guide that Nintendo Power printed, and it gave you like the percentages of each Pokemon in each area. And I would sit there like an idiot sometimes for ages, going back and forth, back and forth, looking for that one rare Pokemon in the area. Yeah, exactly. It's boring. It is. And I know that they they want to preserve the surprise. And I'm sure that the console version will probably still have random encounters because Masuda has been adamant in the past that random encounters are part of Pokemon's DNA. Mm -hmm. But I think that Pokemon Let's Go just shows that that's not necessarily the case. Well, I actually wonder about if we're going to see random encounters in in Pokemon Generation, which one is it, 8? Because there's been... Uh, whispers from them saying that yeah things are going to be quite different with the the new pokemon so well i think the thing i find interesting is that they said the core rpg will quote satisfy the hardcore fans that it'll be geared toward the hardcore fans and it sure seems to me Mm -hmm. that they're essentially having pokemon let's pokemon baby version and pokemon oh my god shut up here's your (laughs) your hardcore version (laughs) version Wow, they come a long way with this naming scheme from Red and Blue. Which, <laughs> which, maybe maybe there needs to be more of a middle ground, but they were saying, yes, we are focusing on satisfying the core RPG players mm-hmm. in Gen 8, which is exciting to me, obviously. I, I want to be satisfied in, in Gen 8, and I hope the Switch version looks awesome. Right, and so, so do I. I mean, how does it look at E3 since you played it? Like, eh, how does, like eh, okay? Yeah. Eh. Eh. It looks like it could be on the 3DS, to be honest. Ouch. Not bad, eh? It's not that pretty. I mean, which, whatever. Graphics have never been a thing in Pokemon, necessarily. It's okay. It's fine. Mm -hmm. It's not amazing. It's fine. It's the kind of game, it's like when I was talking to Tom, we were agreeing that it was 
it really was Pokemon baby version mm-hmm. where Pokemon in the past has always been like, oh, so accessible that even a seven-year-old can pick it up and just understand it and play it. And they right? Do. Yeah. Yeah. This one is more like so accessible that your two-year-old can pick it up and play it and sort of understand it. Like that mm-hmm. you can start playing with your tiny child. Right. And right. say, here's the ball, which by the way, the ball is great. The yeah, Pokeball controller like is great. I love it. I love holding it in your hand, using it to select things. I, I'm kind of okay with the throwing, but it got really tiresome really fast when the last thing I did was there was a Butterfree, right? Uh-huh. I was trying to capture the Butterfree, and it would be sitting there, and then it would start floating back and forth, <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, Stay still. Because first of all, the throwing is a little weird. It's uh-huh. a little wonky. It's not like the phone where you're going, whoosh, right, whoosh, right. You know, where you're kind of swiping at it. You have to actually like hold it in your hand and kind of do this awkward uh, over the shoulder thing. It's odd. And if you don't do it right, the ball will be flying, spraying all over the place, which is annoying <laughs> because you have a finite number of balls. Of course, right. So the is finite there, number of balls in Pokemon. Is there like any option to do like regular controls with that, with the throwing thing or you're, you're stuck with- i don't think so i think you're stuck with the motion controls it's Wait. built around motion controls wow i'm just thinking like yeah. the way you describe it it sounds so anime like the way ash does it you know turn the hat and like you know just really wind up for that pitch like you're gonna freaking kill the pokemon with your with your ball it's a great idea but in practice i i just wanted to catch the damn butterfree <laughs> and We're it butterfree. was getting kind of annoying and you also there's a timing element, so you have to mm. time it with the little thing coming down, da- the little circle coming down, mm-hmm. and that's pretty hard. And I can imagine that it's going to be atrociously annoying. You're gonna have to carry like 50 ultra balls just to even have a shot at some of the rarest Pokemon. I just I don't like the capturing mechanic. It's not super fun, and right. unfortunately, it's also kind of the core of Pokemon Let's Go. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of a problem, especially the way you describe it. If it's complicated for you, then what's a two year old gonna do? Yeah, exactly. So I think they really, really need to refine it. It's the Preli's version. Mm-hmm. Uh, tighten it up a lot right. is what I will say. There's time for that, so that's good. I think it's cute that you can carry a Pokemon in the little controller, mm. and if you hold it up to your ear, you'll hear the cry. I found that extremely charming. It's like, help me, help me, get me out of here. <laughs> no, they're they're happy in the ball. They're happy. I know. Yeah, they're, no, Pokemon, I think the anime has established... That they have like a little living room or like a living, little living space inside there. It's oh. like the holodeck. That must be nice. Probably better than what most people have where they have like a, a house with like 50 roommates in it. If I recall correctly, I think it's either Pokemon X and Y maybe. Mm-hmm. Has, uh, you can decorate the inside of the Pokemo- the Pokeball and it oh. shows the little Pokemon walking around in it. It's almost like I remember that. super yes. comfy little happy space in there, right? Yeah. Okay, I remember that. Yeah, that was cute. Yeah, so... Uh, another weird thing is, so it's obvious that the stats have been tremendously stripped down. Of course. Uh, there's still some stats in there, but also for some reason, even though you, you also they decided to put CP in there too. Mm-hmm. So every Pokemon has a CP level, hmm. which uh, I know that they want to throw a bone to the Pokemon Go people, but it makes it seem real simple. Yeah, you have the the CP. You also, I heard there's like also a candy element. Uh, I don't remember the candy element. Yeah, I just heard that they... You can oh, right. Pokemon candy or something like that, which of course... Yeah, you can go. give them berries to make them want to join. 
Right, so that is kind of a little bit like Go. Um, yeah, it's a little bit like Pokemon Go in that regard. Um, I, I, I would say that it's actually very similar to Pokemon Go <laughs> in, in many respects. It's clearly there to transition. Tom, Tom Phillips, who is an avid Pokemon Go fan, oh. was not super on board with it. That's, he is, that's interesting. He is maybe the last truly avid Pokemon Go fan like left <laughs> in the press. I actually, I don't know if I'd call myself avid, but I'm definitely a regular, like I play every day. It was interesting that they, uh, when you see a Pokemon, it'll say, this Pokemon's tiny, or this Pokemon is huge. Mm-hmm. And I asked, does this affect their power or whatever? And they were like, no. no. And it's just a differentiator, I guess. It's like, uh, that's another thing from Pokemon Go. They'll tell you, oh, this is the smallest you know, Charizard I've ever seen, or this is the biggest Charizard I've ever seen. And that was a big thing, like when they first installed... Uh, analysis in the in pokemon go everyone was naming like their pokemon like you know my penis so the the per- when you like go to analyze the pokemon the trainer's like oh my penis is huge like it was it was the stupidest <laughs> it was well, the stupidest thing for about five minutes but yeah penis they used harden yeah <laughs> my favorite so dumb my favorite pokemon name i've ever seen was just someone some kid on the bus i was looking over their shoulders they were playing pokemon blue and they named their blast toys a a a a a like just a capital a letters like across the board so ah uh. yeah so ash was going you know go blast go ah uh, like just like screaming it was fantastic <laughs> uh, another one more thing about pokemon let's go is so, so i will say that the battles feel faithful to the series like mm. when you use attacks like you know tackle or right. a thunderbolt or whatever um feels faithful to the series looks okay looks solid enough i love uh when you're sending a monster out and pikachu jumps off uh, the trainer's shoulder that cute. i love that it has it has the thing from Pokemon Heart Gold Soul Silver, mm-hmm. where you can have a Pokemon following you in addition to Pikachu being on your shoulder or whatever. Right, I think that, um, I think that's really cool. I'd love to see more of that in, in Generation Eight. They have an experience share, much like the core games, which will de- distribute XP to your entire party, right. encouraging you to use as many monsters as possible. Though you get XP. For just capturing monsters, oh, which makes it really easy to level up. Just a bit, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but I suspect because of CP, yeah, you may actually be discarding like monsters and looking for more powerful versions. Absolutely. as the game progresses, so. which is what something that happens a lot in Go. Like you catch something that's more powerful and you name it, you know, the mm-hmm. same name but number two. It is a straight. It is very much a remake of Red and Blue. I was the the demo area that they had was the Viridian Forest, mm-hmm. and so you're running around finding trainers and capturing monsters. It's very much a hybrid of Pokemon Let's Go and uh, Pokemon Red and Blue, mm-hmm. and it, it's fun and nostalgic in that way. But it's also very kitty. Yeah, yeah, that's very kitty. Not surprising. And I think, and while I'm sure that it stands a pretty solid chance of selling really well, mm-hmm. it also feels like. Uh, I wouldn't exactly call it a temple release. So Nintendo's two temple releases are Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, basically a Wii U port. Sorry, Nintendo, it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're de-emphasizing new characters in favor of the fact that you have the entire roster from all of the games in the past, which is cool. Don't get me wrong. You're going to have pack it with loads and loads and loads of content. Yeah. But it looks like a port. It does. It looks a little and, better than a port. 
Slightly. I mean, I know they did a lot of stuff under the hood. I know that they, like, improved a lot of elements for the Switch, but it's a souped-up port. Mm Mm-hmm. And Pokemon Let's Go is uh, for babies. Yeah, but I'm sure it's still going to sell really well. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything, though. For core Nintendo fans, it's kind of like, it feels okay, I guess. Yeah, yeah. When, um... When they didn't announce Metroid Prime 4 and the Nintendo Direct, our traffic went bananas because people, <laughs> everybody was searching for Metroid Prime 4 release date and yeah. wondering where the hell it was. Yeah. So that tells you, that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. But, but it's just, Nintendo does E3 differently. Like, you never know what you're going to get at Nintendo's E3. And I still think um, true. there's so much time left of the year. We're going to get at least one more big Nintendo Direct. Uh, yeah, I guess, but I mean, they've kind of said everything for the fall. This is what's coming out in the fall. Yeah, but they still, I think like uh, analysts are, are all pissy because they didn't generate any hype for like, you know, 2019. So if they say, hey, you know, here's Metroid Prime 4. We're going to go look at it now. Everyone's going to be like, ah, and that'll that'll boost confidence in the very least. I guess. We'll see. Yeah. But uh, Nintendo wasn't the only thing going at E3. Um, one thing that stood out, so I got to meet Tetsuya Nomura. Oh, yeah, that must have been really interesting. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, you've heard a million stories about him, but interviewing him was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I complimented him on his shirt. He was wearing a <laughs> rock and roll shirt of Mickey playing uh, guitar in kind of a stylized heavy metal kind of way. And That's awesome. I thought that was cute. I complimented him. He chuckled, um, broke the ice a little bit. Uh, we were able to talk at some length about. Well, a lot of things. We talked about Pirates of the Caribbean. We talked about the whereabouts of the Final Fantasy characters. Mm-hmm. I wrote a story on about where he was basically like, I don't see Final Kingdom Hearts really necessarily needing Final Fantasy in the same way that it did before. I don't think so, no. Because it seemed to me that the reason that they were put in there in the first place, based on what he was saying, mm-hmm. was Kingdom Hearts was a new franchise, and even though it had Disney, Square felt that it needed more support. Right. S- hence the Final Fantasy cameos. Right. And, and now now the king- the characters are strong enough on their own that they don't need these these established characters. Right. And of course, Disney now is very different from Disney back then. Um, I mm. mean, we saw, like, everything. Got- we saw, like, the most recent franchises. We saw Frozen. We saw Wreck-It Ralph. Like, we're talking about, like, really up to the moment franchises that they're letting uh square enix use yeah uh he complained a lot about uh having to get approval for everything yeah yeah that sounds about right and it sounded a little like he was kind of spinning it where oh everybody says that i'm a a a perfectionist well here's why i'm a perfectionist because i got a list of five billion things that need to be done from the Monsters, Inc. people, and this is why Goofy looks the way he does, because I send in a design, and they say no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they say no, and they keep saying no, and no again. I asked, I was, I was like, so was Monster, Monsters, Inc. the the, mo- the strictest of all, the, all of them? And he said, there was a pause, he went, frozen. Frozen, yes, it would be frozen. <laughs> and I was like, uh, of course, frozen. Yeah. Oh, I can only imagine what he must have gone through. So I have a little more sympathy for Nomura now because I can just, I've heard through the, the, the tittle-tattle that interacting with Disney is just a nightmare because it takes him forever to get back to you on anything. Yeah, he's fallen fully into the bureaucracy of Disney. He said, it, he made it sound a little like once upon a time, Disney could get away with things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the sense of, oh, or sorry, Kingdom Hearts because 
Kingdom Hearts was a relatively small franchise. Disney was in a somewhat different place at the time. Mm-hmm. And Square just didn't have the attention of Disney. But now that Kingdom Hearts is a fairly large global franchise, Disney is paying attention. The Eye of Sauron is upon Square Enix. <laughs> it is burning in their direction. Uh, and not yeah. only that, he's using a lot of, you know, really important franchises that exist right now. He was talking about how it was easier in the past because maybe a movie, maybe the creator of a particular property had died right. or uh, the franchise had kind of gone away, hadn't been unearthed in many, many years. Right. Or take Fantasia, for example. Right. Or Gummy Bears, I think, was there too, wasn't it? Yeah. But many of these Pixar movies or Frozen or whatever, not only are the creators still around, the franchises are still going. Yes. And they are very particular about the way that they are rendered in the game. So yes. it's a very different thing, a very different ball game in trying to work with all of these different licenses in Kingdom Hearts 3. Yeah, but the I have to say, the Frozen stuff looks fantastic. Just how there's just no difference between the Disney movie and the game. Just It's really interesting to see. Yeah, he was talking about how, and I was kind of curious, I said, was it always your intention to kind of wait in, because he mentioned skipping the PS3 generation mm-hmm. for the most part. And mm-hmm. I said, was it always your intention to kind of do that with Kingdom Hearts 3? Like experiment with all of these kind of side stories? Because that's what they are. The yeah. Birth by Sleep and such. Kingdom Hearts fans seem to bristle a little bit when you characterize Birth by Sleep and 358 over two days as kind of spinoffs. But yeah. I mean, they're side stories. They're guide end stories. Yeah. I would say Birth by Sleep is probably the most important of them. Uh, because I think that's where Aqua is introduced. Maybe. Yes, and she's in but, uh, three, if I'm not mistaken. No, yes, she is. Yes, and also she's in Kingdom Hearts 2.8, uh, the Prelude thing, right. where they were experimenting with attack. And Nomura just kind of shrugged and was like, "Yeah, well, I mean, we kind of took it game by game, to be perfectly honest. Whenever we, <laughs> you don't say, we would just. Well, he was just like, well, well, we would have an. We would just go. So, what do we want to do next? Oh, let's do this. Uh, let's do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it was very, it wasn't necessarily long-term planning. It was game by game. Right. So, yeah. And so we also, as I mentioned, we talked about Pirates of the Caribbean and his his reasoning basically was, yeah, I had this cool technology and I wanted to, and I didn't feel like the Pirates crew were rendered as well. So I wanted to use this to highlight the difference in the tech between right. Kingdom Hearts 3 and Kingdom Hearts 2. Right. Yeah. And I've already, well, I have seen some people complaining during the presentation saying at the pirates are real on candy valley in three. Oh yes they totally are <laughs> yeah <laughs> my impression of kingdom hearts 3 is that they basically airlifted a ps2 game into 2018 right right that's a good way of describing it which is fine i mean i think ps2 games uh hold up just fine i mean it's the same with dragon quest 11 they just airlifted a ps2 game from 2004 into the year 2018 right which it's is- just bigger and prettier and cooler yeah and a little more streamlined I got into a big argument with, I don't know, the VG247 folks or the Eurogamer folks or somebody. We're all family here in the Gamer Network, sure, um, yeah. and we hang out, but oh, we collude. But <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. We don't collude. Don't take that literally. <laughs> but we were all talking about Dragon Quest Eleven, and they were like, ah, it's just old-fashioned turn-based. I was like, what? I Wait will, a minute. I will smack their mouths. They will not say that in my presence. And I was like, it's a good thing Nadia's not here. Yeah. Cause she... <laughs> I, I would have. They would have to And I was like, so wait, you're saying that 
Dragon Quest is old-fashioned, but you're giving Pokemon a pass? I mean, come on. Yeah, come on, people. Let's be reasonable here. A turn-based combat is fine. It's 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 it works fine in a, in the current era. And I would go as far as to say I like turn-based combat. I prefer turn-based combat to active time combat. Yeah, honestly, like I. I look very forward, just kind of, I can't really say it's relaxing, but compared to, like, what a lot of uh, active time combat is, and, like, say, Final Fantasy XV, it was always frantic. Uh, mm. I, I don't mind. It was almost, it was too much in Final Fantasy XV, and personally, I, if they told me that they were going back to a turn-based system for Final Fantasy XVI, which I'm, I've heard whispers is actually in development. I would be very excited. Yeah, I would be very happy to hear that very much. I mean, hell, I'm still yes. playing uh, a lot of 3DS games that have the turn-based combat thing going on. I'm, I work on Radiant Historia when I have a chance, and uh, you mm. know, still working on Shin Megami. So, and those all are all turn-based. But the timeless element of Dragon Quest XI is the storytelling, mm-hmm. and especially the vignettes that take place uh, as side quests and such. Uh, it does a, such a wonderful job of painting the world yeah the and there was someone god i don't know if they were from your game or there was someone i knew who said oh dragon quest is terrible storytelling it doesn't really have a good story it's like what no yeah are you on crack i mean yeah. dragon quest 8 had a phenomenal story and i was talking i was i was like I- i'm sorry no dragon quest 5 had a phenomenal story mm-hmm. it did and it still holds up actually very well today and i was talking about kind of the effed up things that happened in dragon quest 5 and mm-hmm. how it does generational storytelling better than almost any RPG that I've seen to date. I haven't really seen anybody really experiment with that. And I was just like, don't don't discredit Dragon Quest. And, and I was talking about Dragon Quest Nine and how it did really interesting things with the multiplayer mm-hmm. in like a turn-based combat sense. And this idea that Dragon Quest is somehow archaic is just... No, it's not It's archaic. from uninformed people who don't know anything about the franchise, frankly. We probably haven't played it since they got the first... Uh, game on because uh, Nintendo was trying to give it away. Well, I mean, they just have very generalized opinions about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I know. Which tends to happen, you know, when you don't play a game, you just hear about things secondhand. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. But no, I'm looking very forward to 11. And even 11 with its story, kind of what I've seen, really kind of gets you in to, at, the, at the start, like you're imprisoned, like very early in the game and things go wrong and you have to make them right. I'm glad it's coming out in September. Me too. And... So we can kind of clear the decks and it won't be coming out in October, which is the month of death. Yes. October is ridiculous. Uh, of course, November, December will probably be ridiculous. January, so, February is going to be ridiculous. Though, if I recall correctly, September, see, Spider-Man is going to be right on top of <laughs> Dragon Quest Eleven, and that's going to get a lot of the coverage, unfortunately. Right. Different audiences, though. Different audiences, so. but yeah. If they had been smart, they would have released it in, like, July, when there's nothing. I was a little bit surprised. I thought we'd for sure see it during the summer, like, July or August, but no. It feels like something that should have been released in July rather than the fall. I agree. Mm, I think it was a miscount. I, I don't, I'm not privy to production schedules. Maybe they, maybe it was just not possible to get it out in the summer, but, and they got it out the absolute earliest that they could, but it mm-hmm. sure feels like... Something that I would either be playing over the holidays or I'd be playing over the summer and not right in the teeth of the release season. Yeah, and I feel like they're already, like, if not finished with the localization or a good way through it. Yeah. In any case, uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 will be out in January, which is a little bit of a bummer. But at the same time, we're going to have a lot of games coming out this fall between... I, I just, everybody's clearing out for RDR 2, and which is kind of funny to me because I don't see any way possible it's going to be as big as GTA 5. But Probably not. It still gonna be big it's gonna it's be a huge big deal 
but it's not going to have mm-hmm. that longevity that uh, GTA Five does. It's going to dominate coverage on like every site. It's everybody's going to be talking about it incessantly, and mm-hmm. it's. I don't know why you would put Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Battlefield Five on top of that because oh, it's just you're crazy for doing that. Oh, R.I.P. our guides, people. Oh my God, I feel so bad for them. I feel so good luck. Godspeed, Heron and Jake and uh, Tom. Godspeed. But uh, another element, I, I got to try Valkyria Chronicles 4 on the oh, Switch. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I read your uh, impressions of that. Yeah, unfortunately, it definitely has some compromises. Mm-hmm. And it uh, there's some definite slowdown in the handheld version when it is undocked. And it uh, the, 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 model, the character models and such are definitely lose some detail. Which mm-hmm. is a little bit of a bummer. I, I'm not going to lie. It still looks good. still right. looks very good. It doesn't look and generic. It certainly doesn't go down to the PSP version I was going to say, so. it doesn't look quite as generic as what was Valkyria Chronicles Revolution, which was just like, oh my god, why? <sighs> that game was... Ugh, <laughs> yeah. That was terrible. I think about that game and I laugh. <laughs> Sometimes, just how bad the dialogue was. I was like, oh my Christ. Yeah, I was talking to the PR person over at Atlas and he Ooh. reminded me that Valkyria Revolution existed and I was like, it sure did. <laughs> it did. I sure did review that game. I sure did delete it off my Vita. God, that was a bad game. It was so bad. It was and a we were, really bad game. And we were worried that was going to be the last of Valkyria Chronicles. Thank God. Yeah. Like they, they said, okay, you know what? Let's do it right this time. So kudos. Yeah, I was really bummed out. But yeah, Valkyria Chronicles 4 though, I mean, it's, it's really similar to the previous Valkyria Chronicles to be perfectly honest, except... It, it, so the story takes place concurrently with the previous Valkyria Chronicles game, but instead mm-hmm. of playing as Squad 7 from Gallia, where you're defending your home, you're playing as the troops from the Federation, the, the equivalent of Western Europe, right? who are launching a massive counterattack into the heart of the Empire. Right, which is interesting. And get bogged down in the snow because... As they learned, you don't launch... Uh, they never played Risk. You don't launch a land war in Asia, or fictional Asia. <laughs> <laughs> nope, especially not when there's snow on the ground. Yeah, so... So, it's, uh, they're having a little bit of a problem, and it sounds like the snow will change up a lot of how it ultimately works, which I'm fine with, but when you're playing it in the moment-to-moment, it, it's Val- freaking Valkyrie, Valkyria Chronicles. They're doing it again. Yeah, which is... I'm totally okay with that, and I'm just thinking about how one thing... I think the Valkyrie Chronicles, the first one, did really well was uh, basically how each character had their quirks and their their pluses and their minuses. And I can just picture how they're going to handle that with snow because, like, some people are really good with snow and some people hate snow. And I, I can see that being a really interesting uh, aspect of the game. Hmm. And you're a Canadian. You would know all about snow. I can move in. The, I hate the snow, but I can move in it. <laughs> you should write a thousand word think piece. Does Valkyria Chronicles 4 accurately capture what it's like to be in the snow? A Canadian's analysis. <laughs> and some people would say, uh, what do you know about snow? You're a Torontonian. <laughs> well, is it, does it not snow that much in Toronto? We have easy winters compared to even like just outside Toronto, uh, basically. Did Scott Pilgrim lie to me? <laughs> oh, there's plenty of ugly-ass snow on the ground. Like, don't get me wrong, but mm. c- compared to, like, say, the snow belt. But basically, um, because of Lake Ontario, that really modifies a lot of our really savage winters. Like, it really mm. cuts back on... It's like being by the ocean, but not quite as, you know, powerful in terms of weather regulation. This has been Nadia's Weather Talk uh, segment for <laughs> Acts of the Blood God. <laughs> Got a little uh, jingle in there with the little weather. Uh, so the one thing I hope that they really get right is make, bringing out the personality of the squad that yes. you have because they did such a phenomenal job of doing that through just the in-game dialogue, the character designs, 
and the the different skills that they had you had a real clear sense of mm-hmm. who these characters were even though you didn't have well like they didn't have any story beats you never saw them like talking to one another and i thought it was just a great piece of design and i really hope that they capture that in valkyria chronicles 4 yeah that's what i'm hoping for they had like a lot of really interesting little ways to, to really insert character development in that game like i always liked how when you get an award you get a little ceremony every time hmm. Cute. One thing that's a little sad is, so the original Valkyria Chronicles, I think one of the secret best elements of that game yeah. uh, was the fact that the it was essentially Belgium. Yeah. Like, in, imagine World War II if Belgium actually arrested the progress of Germany and pushed them out <laughs> and also killed Hitler. Yeah, that'd, that'd be pretty. That'd be one hell of a war right there. That was the equivalent of what they did in Valkyria Chronicles yeah. was... They mixed, they basically gave Belgium magic powers. Mm-hmm. Magic Belgium And powers. it was cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> but my point is, is that they, the characters were all protecting their homes, which were being invaded, and they were all normal people coming from all different walks of life mm-hmm. who were pressed into service to try and def- defeat this overwhelming enemy. Right. And in this one... These are characters who are, I. it seems to me, are professional soldiers rather than, you know, bakers. Well, it's actually... Who, oh, sorry, go on. Who are in the process of launching a vast, a massive counterattack against a evenly matched foe. Right. So, right. so, so it's a different vibe. A little bit. Um, I did notice in the trailer th- that I just watched before this, um, I don't know if it's the latest trailer or not, but they said that, yeah, their homes were burnt and that's why they all enlisted. Uh, I do remember the original Valkyria Chronicles still had, like, your experienced soldiers and and Mm -hmm. what have you. So uh, it might be just kind of a motley crew again. Yeah. But even with the slowdown and kind of the graphical uh, compromises, I still plan to play Valkyria Chronicles 4. Yeah. Will you play it on your Switch? Uh, Yeah, that's what I meant, on the Switch. Yeah, I was thinking I probably would. And, you know, I I can't remember when it was coming out, but there's every possibility they'll, they'll kind of tune it up before release. I'm sure it'll be fine on the PS4 Pro as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, I don't see it as a game I would play on my TV anymore. I see it as, I, I just, I see turn-based tactics games as a handheld game right. for the most part. Yeah. Unless it's XCOM. XCOM is not one for me. XCOM is definitely a game I play on my PC. Yeah, I don't play XCOM. So, uh, but yeah, Mario and Rabbids is kind of XCOM and it's on the Switch. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I just see Valkyria Chronicles as being a slightly different animal. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. aside from Pokemon, aside from Valkyria Chronicles, I also tried the new Persona dancing games. Oh, I'll, I keep seeing like gifs of that, like of people playing the Japanese version. It looks like fun. Mm. Yeah, it's fun. I I think as rhythm games are mediocre, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Yeah, they're fine. I think the soundtracks are so good though that it's just fun to interact with them. Yeah, yeah, I do love the soundtrack from Persona Five, so that's what I'm looking forward to most. The best news that I got was that it wouldn't have a story mode. <laughs> was the story no good? Enough I was like, huzzah! Game? I never played a dancing game, so I don't know how good or bad the stories are. I, it's less that it was a bad story, which, I mean, it wasn't a great story. It was just like, why is this a thing, right? Mm. It was that it took a solid hour for me to get into the actual music. Oh, yeah. So it really kind of breaks and, things up. Yeah, and I was like, I forgot. So they're doing a something called social link mode, and... Mm-hmm. I don't know what the heck that means, but I think I prefer it already. <laughs> nice. Just get me to the dang rhythm as- aspects. Don't get rid of that visual novel crap. Yeah, if, if they're not going to like entertain me with it, then uh, I'd, rather, me. I'd rather dance. 
I want to be entertained. But the, the I think the one notable thing that stands out to me is they were clearly using the models from Persona 5, but, you know, mm-hmm. they were playing the drums <laughs> and had guitars and stuff. That's the models in Persona 3 were all brand new. Right. And seems to lead, lend credence to speculation that a Persona 3 remaster is on the way to the Nintendo Switch. That would be uh, that would be pretty great. I would that would be my first chance to like really get into Persona 3. On that note, my favorite thing of the show was everybody thinking that Konami had everything from Castlevania to Metal Gear Solid 3 <laughs> lurking away in their middle <laughs> meeting room and yeah. it was some stupid game called Hypersports. No disrespect to the people who are making that game, but come on. Yeah, I saw the screenshot that either you or, or someone posted in the Slack and it just looked like really weird models that they were using it looks like the olympics but it's not the summer olympics isn't for another two years yeah yeah so they're gonna get in the jump on that one i also it sure is on the nintendo switch (laughs) i also remember people saying that simon belmont was going to be a secret reveal for smash yeah yeah no that was the expectation at the nintendo direct and simon belmont is still heavily rumored and the rumor is that there was going to be maybe three more characters unveiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, three more new characters unveiled for Smash Brothers, and I would say that uh, Simon Belmont will probably be one of them. Yeah, I definitely don't think they're done unveiling new characters for Smash, especially since they're saying, oh, this is the last Smash. They always say that, but like with games as a service now, Smash is perfect for that, where you just keep on adding to it. Yep. Uh, so, last thing, during Nintendo, the Nintendo Direct... They did confirm Fire Emblem. It's called Fire Emblem Three Kingdoms. Three houses. You keep calling it Three Kingdoms. There's three houses. Well, my first my first thought was Fire Emblem. That was going to be almost like Romancing Saga, right? Right. But not actually Romancing Saga, but something to that to that effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That'd be really interesting. Uh, they they did confirm it as we were expecting, but they did not confirm it for this year which is a little bit of a bummer because i think it would have given the switch a, actually a fairly major boost yeah i think so did they did they give us a, a date at all i can't remember 2019 uh, of course yeah so so it sounds like it's gonna be early 2019 like yeah. uh last time they released fire emblem shadow of valencia in may uh, this is just their mo they release they release those games in particular mm-hmm. in may mm-hmm. so i mean it looks really good doesn't it it does that's one thing i'm actually going to be writing about today and you'll probably be able to read it by the time this is up but uh one thing i really like is how the camera like it doesn't break it zooms in on the action mm. and uh you you see your your character your your actual named character go against you know your foe but there's like you have backup with with soldiers i don't think that the soldiers actually do anything or if they do i don't know but just the them being there really adds to the feeling that hey this is actually a war which is i have to say with fire emblem you don't always get that feeling that's why that's why i got a romancing saga vibe Mm -hmm. immediately Mm -hmm. because the heroes actually have soldiers behind them doing things and i'm really curious to see how that adds to the gameplay right yeah i'm very i'm looking forward to this one very much yeah, it looks really pretty, doesn't it? It does. It looks very good, and it's. Uh, I think the Persona character uh, designer is on this one, and we've we've seen like the three of the characters, and everyone's calling them Team Instinct, Team Valor, and Team uh, Mystic because they kind of have that look to them. So the Persona character designer is involved. That's really interesting. 
Yeah, um, I can't remember their name, uh, so forgive me for that one, but the character designer for 3, 4, and 5 is doing it. Uh, a friend of mine mentioned it might be because uh, the uh, usual character designer usually does stuff for Monolith Soft, and they might be busy. Yeah, speaking of top-down tactics, uh, <laughs> I was relieved to see that it was back to being a thing in the Nintendo Direct, so it looks like they're not going to mess up that aspect of it either. Mm-hmm. Though I'm looking forward to... The usual BS, oh, censorship uh, scandal that's going to be going on with this game. Oh, inevitable. You may as well prepare for it now. Yes, just brace yourself. So, (laughs) yeah, that's uh, 2018. I mean, we didn't talk about Fallout 76, but that's because the only thing there was really to have on the show floor was, I mean, they just showed the theater demo again. Oh, so nothing playable. Yeah, uh... But Bethesda is freaking adamant that this is an RPG. It's not Rust. It's an RPG. It's like, okay, dude. Jeez, <laughs> calm down. Calm Fine, down, it's dude. an RPG. All right, all right. It's an RPG. All right, just don't kill us. Fine. So we were talking about... I was trying to figure out what my game of the show was. And mm. to be perfectly honest, I'm still, like, not sure. Uh, Shadows Die Twice doesn't actually sound like an RPG. No, I'm hearing that um, it's uh, really more action-oriented. and It's, uh, it's more like a Tenchu. Tenchu yeah. gets brought up a lot. So, Which okay. Fine. That's fine. Like, uh, I, Miyazaki, said, who's in charge of, who's directing this one, said, I want to do something else. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, you, you deserve it. Go for it. Neo 2 is back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was a little bit bummed out that Cyberpunk sounds like it's a shooter. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's a Witcher-style RPG at all. It sounds like a first-person shooter. Oh, it's not. Yeah. It's more like Deus Ex. Yeah, yeah. But perhaps it'll be good, have good shooting this time. <laughs> we can hope. Apparently, it looks incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, just amazing. Like, okay. so good that they do this little stunt where they stop and uh-huh. go, so let me zoom in. Zoom in. I will zoom in anywhere you point to. Oh, that's And awesome. then they go and do that. Just... And we were joking that probably if they go even an, a hair off the the prescribed path, it's going to break the demo entirely. Yeah. <laughs> but they were showing this game looks amazing. So mm-hmm. there is that. And I trust Cyberpunk to have a really good story. Yeah. I, I trust CG Project Red. I, I, I hope it, I, it sounds very faithful to the tabletop game, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. So uh, cool. I, I will reserve judgment. I'm, I wish they had done something other than a shooter. Right. I kind of wish that they had found a way to meld the combat of Witcher 3 with with firearms, essentially, right. and found a way to make that work. I think that could have been more fun, to be perfectly honest. Right. Some kind of third-person, not a third-person shooter, but a third-person action game, mm-hmm. RPG, mm-hmm. that uses guns rather than just being a shooter, but... I mean, if you can, if you got guns, I guess you're going to be a shooter. Whatever. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. But I think more than ever, more than anything, this felt like the beginning of the end of the current generation. Yeah, I mean, we had, uh, of course, uh, Bethesda saying outright that uh, you're not going to see Starfield until the next generation, and if that we're not going to see that until the next generation, we're not going to see Elder Scrolls Six until the next generation, definitely. Yeah, I was speculating. We were all speculating, or let's say I was speculating that so. Xbox is rumored to be out in 2020. Yeah. Um, so it's so if it's coming out in 2020, then it would be pretty amazing if it got to market first and had Starfield. Mm-hmm. That'd be a coup. That would be a heck of a thing, which would be so. But I I, I think it's more likely 
that maybe Xbox is 2020, PS5 is 2021, and Starfield comes out in 2021. Mm-hmm. So that's three years from now. That's a long time ago. But at the same time, it's not that long from now, which is crazy. No, and of course, the older we get, the faster time goes. Three years is nothing to me anymore. It's kind of scary. I was joking that we're going to have FIFA 2021. And I was like, if you told me that in in 1995, I would have thought that they would have like cybernetic enhancements. <laughs> in the dark world of the future, FIFA 2021. I'm sure that actual uh, football players wish they did have cybernetic knees. I mean, we that's true. And we do live in a dystopian future. So we do, but none of the cool It's stuff. all coming true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody said that we got all the elements of cyberpunk right now. The amazing technology and incredible inequality of America, the terrifying surveillance state of China. (laughs) It's all the way down. We got it all. We got it all, baby. We live in cyberpunk (laughs) now. Oh, boy. It's not quite as it's not even quite as colorful. Yeah. But uh, looking ahead uh, to the rest of the fall. uh, So we got Octopath Traveler next month. Uh huh. I've not super pumped about it but it's a thing that exists and we can play it yeah uh i, I really like the demo so i'm looking mm. forward to it how can we not pump for it anymore yeah yeah I'll, I'll play it it looks it looks okay i guess it just seems real simple yeah you'll probably reignite your love for it soon enough maybe uh kingdom hearts 3 I, you want to talk about retro that game looks retro what uh, kingdom hearts 3 no, uh, Octopath Traveler. Oh, well, yeah, but it, the 2D HD or whatever they're calling it looks like awesome. really retro, mm-hmm. like way more so than DQ11. And I guess that's fine. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 in January, Dragon Quest 11 September, Fallout 76 in November. November? Yeah. Yep. Fallout 76 is going to. Well, I, here, here's a bold prediction Fallout 76 outsells Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, that's a that's an interesting prediction. I'm eager to see if it comes true. Everybody wants Fallout. Everybody Fallout sells outrageously well. Mm-hmm. It is a co-op game, mm-hmm. so people are going to be buying it with their friends and playing. And Red Dead Redemption is not GTA, right? It's True Grit. It's a prestige game. It puts more emphasis on story. It will have an online component. But it's just not the same as driving around Los Angeles and wrecking things. No, it's very, it, it definitely doesn't have that kind of uh, open element of gameplay to it. Unless, you, I don't know, can you like bash horses together or something? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't played Red Dead. All right. All right, Nadia. Last week we had the reactions to the Square Enix press conference and all the press conferences that had come to that point. Uh And here are some of the comments from the podcast. Nice Guy Neon says, Cat, Nadia, it's called Tangled, not Rapunzel. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Sorry, very sorry. It's friggin' Rapunzel. It's the story of Rapunzel. It's just called Tangled. Yeah, it's just called Tangled. Okay, whatever. I love Tangled. It was a great movie. It was. It was. Whatever you want to call it, it was a great movie. Gabriel Law says... As I mentioned in another post, the biggest winner of E3 thus far has been my wallet. Outside of Octopath Traveler, DQ11, perhaps Nintendo Switch, Fire Emblem Switch, my finances will have time to recover into 2019. Well, that's a very positive uh, outlook to have. I have to admit, like, even though this was kind of a subdued E3, I can't say I'm really upset about it because how much stuff do I have to play already? It's just, 
okay, 2019 is probably going to be a, a crazy year again. So you know what? I'm okay with just taking it a little easy this year. I'm going to have plenty to play this fall, let me tell you. I'm going to have FIFA, and I'm going to have all the sports games, as usual. I'm going to have DQ11. It's going to take up an outrageous amount of my time. Yeah, I'm going to have Battlefield 5, which looks great. Uh-huh. Uh, gender politics, bullshit gender <laughs> politics aside, I think it looks phenomenal. It does. I'm going to play RDR2. That looks great. Fallout uh-huh. 76 um, was borderline my game of the show. Right. Uh, even though it didn't make it into our top 10, it's still like I'm... Uh, it didn't make it into our top 10 because I, we didn't get really much of a deeper look than I would have liked. Uh, yeah. I would have liked a deeper look than that. But, I mean, it, it's interesting. I, I'm really intrigued to play it, and I'm a big Fallout person. And then we got Smash in December, so I'm I'm, I'm good to go for this for this fall. Yeah, and there's who knows what's going to come out in the meantime. You always have that indie game here or there that will suck up your life for the next couple of yeah. months. We're, we, we, we'll have some kind of really interesting surprise on on the switch or the ps4 or whatever so yeah no i'm i am at i think it'll be a fine fall maybe yeah. not as tremendously as exciting as last year actually no I'll, actually i lied i think this will be a better fall than last year oh that's an interesting statement but it might be it'll be fine like i, I am not at all upset about e3 by the way the people who are bitching about the fact that there are female protagonists in games now. Oh, yeah. They're, just for the hell of it, I went through the games of 2018 and like counted up which games have... Uh, all the games of 2018 until the end of the year and kind of which ones have uh, female protagonists and which ones have male protagonists. Uh-huh. Three games with female protagonists, all the rest have male protagonists, oh, including all of the male protagonists. All, all the characters in Red Dead Redemption 2 are, man, are men. Right, that's... Three too many, cat. I mean, just God of God. War. God of War. Uh, the God of War reboot is about a man and his son, and it's just it goes on like that. Yeah, so shut your mouth, man. <laughs> People are complaining about Ellie being a lesbian, and I'm like, can I just have this? Yeah. Can I just have this? And that's not even like new information. That that's been no, no. information for a very long time. Is canon? It's totally I'm push canon. Up my glasses now. This is canon. <laughs> she kisses her girlfriend from the DLC. Kuninino says, Neo is an exceptional game. It made Dark Souls and Bloodborne almost irrelevant to me with its superior combat. Say what you will about the enemy designs. The bosses were cool and hard, and some of the levels were really imaginative, like the Ninja House. Don't hate on Neo, Cat, just because you're a From Software fangirl. It's unbecoming. Ouch. Seriously, Neo doesn't get enough credit for basically being the only 3D action game to match Ninja Ninja Gaiden's speed, fluidity, and creativity. All right. I... I I will defer to you, my friend. Uh, I Nino was fine to me. It didn't stand out to me. I know that a lot of people see it as a as a fine Soulsborne, and I'm glad that it's back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I am glad to see it again. I mean, I didn't play the first one. I just remember that scene where the guy took out he his look. He was looking at the time. He took out a cat from his tunic, <laughs> and he was looking at the eyes because apparently that's like an old legend in, in old Japanese legend. If you look at a cat's eyes, you can tell the time. He just Pulls out this damn cat, looks at it, it's like, oh, dawn is breaking, and he puts the cat back in his vest. Like, it's crazy. I loved it. Somebody pointed out that all of the samurai games that are being made this year are actually ninja games. Yes. <laughs> That's very true. That's great. Which I think is pretty funny, actually. That's hilarious. And uh, since Shadows Die Twice is basically an action game, it's not going to really step on Neo's toes. So. No. And then there's also Ghost of Tsushima, which... Uh, I I saw people praising in some corners. I was kind of eh. I think the fact that it came after Last of Us Two kind of uh, hurt it in my mind a little bit. It's, it's an unfair comparison, but 
Last of Us 2 looked so good yeah. when I was actually watching it that it's just, it's tough. It's, it's, it's tough. Yeah, uh, Ghost of it. Tsushima didn't strike me as anything real special, to be perfectly honest, especially when it came to the storytelling. It was pretty typical samurai yeah, was, drama. Yeah, looked like a kind of a, a hard act to follow with Last of Us 2, even though I really didn't like the you fact... Wanna t- Oh, sorry. People talk about historical accuracy. Well, let's talk about the fact that the katana wasn't even invented by the time of the <laughs> Mongol invasions. <laughs> what? I, the, I don't see the fanboys complaining about that. Big surprise. Although I had no idea that was a fact. I learned it is thing. a fact. But, I mean, because it's not in, because it involves a cool-ass sword and not women, they, they are not going to be up in arms about it. No, absolutely not. And you know what's even funnier? This game is trying to be kind of historically accurate. It's trying to be a period yeah, drama. I noticed, Versus yeah. freaking Battlefield Five multiplayer, which is just... It's a freaking playground set in World War II. Yeah. I just... These these people, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. God. No, I... Rider I kicker. Oh, it just say... Sorry, what were you saying? Oh, uh, just a story I wrote about Battlefield and what the EA uh, rep said um, about, like, hey, get over it, don't play the game. That made a lot of people mad. Good. Yeah, yeah. I, I I give EA a lot of crap. I was giving them a lot of crap in my last podcast, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but sometimes they pleasantly surprise me, and that is one of them. If you don't yeah. like it, don't play the freaking game. Yeah. Call of Duty is right over there. Absolutely. There you go. There's your. Oh, there's your oh no! Game. Call of Duty has women too. Ah! <laughs> it doesn't really. All the women. Too many women. They track bears, you know. It's a power fantasy, for God's sake, and women want to play too. Sorry, boys. We play too. <sighs> okay, I, I'm done. That, that's my rant. Um, Rider Kicker says Shrek minions. Think about it some more. God damn it! <laughs> Why would you do that to me, Rider Kicker? Why would you do that? No. And Ventiver says I am excited for the new demo for Octopath Traveler that comes out tomorrow. You can carry over the progress from the demo into your main game as well. Besides that, I am looking forward to DQ11. That should be out right now, Nadia. Oh, you, from for a second I was like, what DQ11? No, he meant the Octopath Traveler. Yeah. I know yes. The demo's out. I've been meaning to download Start it. playing the demo now. Yep. Indeed. All right. E3's over, Nadia. We're Yay. done for another year. Oh Yay. We're getting too old for this. They already announced the dates for for next year, and I just felt a disturbance in the force. <laughs> Only 365 year, uh, days to go. No. Yay. When, uh, I guess it's around the same time of year, right? They're going to have the Xbox 2 at the next one. Oh, my God. Do you think so? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I, I think they're probably going to have a unveiling stream of some sort mm-hmm. in, like, March. And they will properly show it. Uh, they'll show the opening lineup and everything at E3. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or actually, no, maybe they won't have it. Because I think if it's anything like the Xbox One, they'll have the unveiling uh, stream in, like, March of 2020 and then formally unveil it at at e3 2020 right what they may do is tease it of course they may like finish their press conference with the next generation of xbox shiny coming 2020 look forward to our press conference next year thus setting up uh, a full year of hype for it of course lens flare you know shining off the black casing Oh my god, I can't believe this generation's almost over. It just feel, feels like it just started. Yeah, it practically did start for me. I got my PS4 yet, really late. And yet, and yet by the time the Xbox 2 or the PS5 come out, this generation will have gone seven years. It's pretty good. 
that, yeah, that's a long ge- generation, of course, with the switch kind of position in between everything. You wonder where that's going to go. Yeah, I was talking to the XO, the CEIC, XO, GM of uh, Panic Button. We were talking at some length about that. Please look forward to my article about that. <laughs> but, okay, XO Blood God, it's a U.S. Camera Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Follow us on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. I'm at the underscore catbot. Go to US Gamer. Follow us at US Gamer Net. We're unveiling a new feature next week, Nadia. Yes, we are. Very excited about it. The Axe of the Blood Gods Top 25 RPGs. We are going to be doing a ranking. We are starting it next week. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be tying it into the. We're going to be tying it into the actual site. We're going to be doing write ups on the site. And each week, we are going to unveil another rpg for the list starting with number 25 going all the way to one and that will be in january so it's gonna it's gonna be a long tail and you can you can all debate and be excited about what the next (laughs) what the next one is that's what's gonna carry us through august yes please be excited or june sorry and also look forward to a new uh feature that is starting next week jeremy Parrish is kicking off a year-long series, The History of RPGs, in which he talks to different RPG creators Mm. and traces the history of the genre that we love. And he's going to be on the podcast. He's going to be on the podcast each week. I think he's on the the next week's podcast, in fact, to talk about Ultima. So please look forward to that. And we're going to be we're going to be doing this every month. Parrish is going to be on the podcast. Yeah, it's exciting times ahead, Nadia. Acts of the Blood God. Yes, uh, lots of RPGs to talk about. The Blood God is pleased. (laughs) Very much so. Very much so. Okay, Nadia will be back next week. Until then, happy adventuring.